I want to start off the day, Easter Sunday 2023, with some powerful words that Paul put the paper 2,000 years ago. And not only for a bunch of believers who lived in the city of Corinth, but for us who sit in this room today, April the 9th, 2023. And listen, these words are not just random thoughts put on paper. They're not just ink on the page. They are, they are the very voice of God. Words of life from the author of life. And before I, I read these 2,000-year-old words, which is kind of crazy, how, how many other 2,000-year-old words do you read on a regular basis, right? Uh, but as I read them, I would like you to consider this question. What if everything I read and say about Jesus today, what if it's true? What if it's true? Here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And now, brothers, I, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If someone say, by this gospel, you are saved. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. Uh, question, well, what is the most important thing? today, tomorrow, yesterday, and next Friday, that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. Yes, our, our families are important, our jobs are important, our hopes and dreams are important, but Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is of first importance. It's the most important thing, and it's been that way for 2,000 years. Maple Grove, welcome to church. Welcome to Easter 2023. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. I understand 2,000 years ago, God the Son, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, left all the glories of heaven, took a huge step down, became one of us, put on flesh, and entered human history. Yeah, as crazy as it sounds, there really was a time when the living God, you know the one who spoke everything into existence? The one who said, let there be, and there was, stars, galaxies, planets, moons, oceans, mountains, forests, rivers. There really was a time when God walked among us, and people saw God with their own eyes. They, they heard him with their own ears, and they could, and many did, reached out and touched him with their own hands. But why did he come and walk among us? Because since the dawn of creation, the overriding theme of all of human history has been God's passionate pursuit of a prodigal people. It has been the story of a loving God doing whatever it takes. And I mean whatever it takes for God so loved the world that he gave his son in order to bring us back to himself. And listen, God's passionate pursuit of us caught up to us and was unleashed in all its fullness through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
and it changed everything. Changed what? Everything. Changed what? Everything. Changed what? Everything. We love three times, don't we, Courtney? <laughs> early on a Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, a couple of ladies got up early, even before the sun had risen in the sky. Why are they up so early? Like what drove them from their beds before dawn and put them on a dark uphill climb to a tomb, to a grave? Answer the love for and devotion to Jesus. You see, somebody had to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. No one else volunteered. Peter didn't. James didn't. And neither did John. So it was up to these two faithful followers, these two women who never left the side of Jesus, it was up to them to do it, and they did. And listen, the task they were going there to perform was a somber task, difficult task. Uh, they would be the ones who would wipe the blood from Jesus' face and his legs and his side. Uh, they would be the ones who would remove the blood that had matted into Jesus' beard. They would be the last ones to touch his face, to close his eyes. But grow while it was still dark, these ladies headed to a tomb to prepare the body of Jesus for burial, or so they thought. And the question, what thoughts, what images, what emotions do you think were flooding their minds as they're walking up that dark path? Were they thoughts of the, the meals they shared together? Of the miracles they saw Jesus do, of the words they heard Jesus speak, of the laughter, of the fun times of hanging out, or were they images of the rest, the trial, the beating, the blood, the cross, his death? And when they arrived at the tomb, things were not as they expected them to be. The stone had already been rolled away. The tomb was empty, well, except for a young dude sitting inside there, an angel. And not a cute, cuddly, hard angel, but a powerful, messing with me would be a very bad idea kind of angel. Angel said, don't be alarmed. Well, that's too late, right? You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Someone say, he is risen. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. Amen. See the place where they had laid him, but go tell the disciples and Peter, He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Uh, they were looking for Jesus who was crucified. Jesus who was arrested, bound, beaten, bruised, battered, mocked, insulted, punched. They're looking for Jesus whose beard was ripped out by the handful. Jesus who was whipped by Roman skirts 39 times full of glass and broken pieces of pottery. They were looking for Jesus who was crucified and buried. But I understand from the very moment the Roman soldier pounded the first nail into the flesh of God on that Friday morning, Sunday was coming. On a Sunday morning, Jesus Christ, with great power, burst forth from the grave. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. The enemy has been defeated. Death could not hold our king. Amen? Amen. I like what a guy named Bob Goff says. He says, darkness fell. His friends scattered. All hope seemed lost. But heaven started counting the three. One, two, three. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. 
And you know, I'm convinced that Jesus wants to say the same thing to a few people here this morning. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. It's going to be okay. In fact, it's already okay because I've risen, I'm alive, and my death, burial, and resurrection changes everything. Now, throughout his ministry, Jesus said that this, that what happened on that Easter weekend, the betrayal, the arrest, the denials, the crucifixion, his death and resurrection were going to happen. When Jesus came into Jerusalem for the first time after overturning some tables and driving the money changers out of the temple, he said, destroy this temple and destroy and beat it, they did, and I'll raise it up in three days. He said to some religious leaders, you got all bent out of shape because he cast out a demon. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 12, verse 40. He said to his guys, as he prepared to go to Jerusalem for the last time, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And I must be killed and the third day be raised to life. Matthew 16, 21. Understand, from the beginning to the end of his ministry, Jesus said that he would suffer, he would die and rise again. And he also said that his resurrection would be irrefutable, undeniable, if you sincerely weigh the evidence, the empty tomb, testimony of a hundred witnesses, the birth of the church, the change in worship from Saturday to Sunday, and the fact that all time (laughs) revolves around him, B.C., in A.D., yes, the resurrection wasn't is undeniable, irrefutable truth that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. God in the flesh, the bread of life, the light of the world, the great I am, the Savior King, the Christ, the Messiah, the living God. Paul said this in Romans 1 verse 4. He was declared to be God's son with great power by rising from the dead. Okay, here, here's the deal. Jesus his resurrection is meant to remove any doubt whatsoever as who Jesus is. I understand the Jesus that we love, follow, serve, the Jesus we've gathered in this room to honor today is not just a prophet. He's not just a great teacher or a really, really nice guy. No, Jesus is God. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the everlasting Father. He is the living water. He is the good shepherd. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the matchless king. He is the great high priest. He is the sinner's friend. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is huge. He is holy. He is mighty. He is God, and he is alive. The resurrection is a really big deal, a huge deal, the hugest. In fact, it's the ultimate game changer. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only, someone say if only. For this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection from the dead comes through a man. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That's the gospel, that's the good news, that's the very news we still need to hear today. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection changes everything. It changed everything 2,000 years ago, 
And it's God's intention that it changes everything for you and I today. For me, for you, for the person to your right and left. I want you to look three people in the eye and tell them the resurrection changes everything. Now, a guy named H.A. Williams, I don't know if it's Hank or not, wrote this. The resurrection of Jesus must be experienced as more than a past historical event. Otherwise, it's robbed of its impact on the present. I understand, like Paul, we too can know Christ and the power of the resurrection, Philippians 3, verse 10. And like Peter, we too can receive mercy and experience new birth into a living hope. Peter writes, praise be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And his great mercy is giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Understand, brothers and sisters, there's never been and there never will be anyone like Jesus. There's never been a teacher like Jesus. There's never been a king like Jesus. There's never been a man like Jesus. Listen, no one has done or ever will do the things that Jesus did. Calm the storms, heal the sick, raise the dead, and die that you may live. And no one has ever spoken words like Jesus has spoken. He said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Maple Grove is Easter 2023, and Jesus is alive. And believe me when I tell you, it's a massive honor and privilege to stand up here today and speak about his resurrection. An historical event that has the potential to change everything. Change what? Everything. Our past, our present, and our future. And that's what we're going to talk about today. However, however, before we go there, I must continue my Easter tradition. And, and I'm weird. I'm strange. I'm not well. You can blame it on being underwater with a nuclear sub or sleeping next to a Mark 48 torpedo. But one thing I like doing Easter, I don't know why I started this, but maybe because as a kid they said you can't throw stuff in church. I said, yeah, wait till I am in church leadership. We're going to throw stuff in church. I like to throw Easter candy out on, on Easter Sunday. And if you eat a peep, your hand gets sticky. Your neighbor already said it's okay for you to wipe your hands on your neighbor. So I'm throwing some peeps out this way. So be ready. If your neighbor, protect your neighbor, all right? We're in this together. If your neighbor's sleeping, it's about to hit him on the head, uh, please. <laughs> okay. Hey, check this out. Check this out. A peep pop. A peep pop. Who wants a peep pop? <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. I, I got a Dove solid milk chocolate bunny, right? Solid. There was, there was another one that was not solid, and I was checking it out. 
and I crushed it, right? But this one's solid. Hey, hey, hey. Hot tamale peeps. Hot tamale peeps. <laughs> Sir Patrick. <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, this bunny is not solid. It's that word I can't say. L-I-N-D-T or whatever. Coach, I'm ready to play center field. A unicorn egg. <laughs> Who wants a unicorn egg? Only four left. What do you want? Oh. <laughs> All right, blue peeps. All right. We got a peanut butter egg, Reese's. <laughs> okay. All right. Happy Easter. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, uh, we love Easter. We love the fact that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive and that it changes everything. It changes our present. It changes our past. It changes our future. And Father, I pray that right now you just help us take it all in. Thank you that we can celebrate the day and have fun today and have joy in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Not know about you, but I've been celebrating Easter for a long time, probably like three years old. And, and, and so this is, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but I will. I'm not ashamed. Okay. This is about my 60th Easter Sunday, celebrating it. It's my 45th Easter Sunday as a follower of Jesus. It's my 32nd Easter Sunday as a dude standing up here. How many years have you been celebrating Easter? Like, like, like how many times have you heard the Easter story? The story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I think for most of us, this is far from the very first time that we've talked about it, right? That you've heard about it. And, and, and that can present a challenge, right? When you hear something over and over again. And so that's why I think when it comes to the message today, we need to bring our cornflakes with us. Cornflakes. Found it 1906, in case you're doing trivia somewhere. The first cereal ever was invented by Dr. James Caleb Jackson, 1863. He had a health spa up in upstate New York, and he was looking for some cold cereals that would cure ailments, right? So when you eat your Captain Trunk, Captain... Crunch, Captain Chunks, that'd be a good name for cereal. Anyhow, anyhow, 1906 it started, Corn Flakes, the original and the best, and by the 1980s, sales had 
gone down and they were facing some competition. And so they came up with a marketing plan. It was simply this. They said, pace them again for the first time. Maple Grove, it's time for us to hear these truths again for the first time. Because we hear it over again. Oh, Jesus died. Oh, cool. He's died. What's for lunch? No, Jesus died. God loves you. He came to save you, right? And so, and listen, I, by the authority of the word of God and testimony of Jesus, I proclaim to you that if you have eyes to hear, do your eyes hear? I don't. <laughs> you didn't think I would catch that, right? Come on. If you're visiting, hey, I ain't got nothing, right? This is me, and, and I make no apologies, right? It's who I am. All right, if you have ears to hear and open heart and mind, you will hear God's voice this morning. It may be something about your past, maybe something about your present, something about your future, but I'm convinced that Jesus really does have something to say to each and every one of us. Get it? Good. The resurrection changes our our past. Have you ever wished that you could change something in your past? Like, is there something in your rearview mirror that you wish you could delete, erase, undo? Man, I wish that didn't happen. If I only knew then what I, what I know now, if I could only turn back the clock, if I could only take back those words, if I only didn't go there, if I only didn't do that, if I only could get another chance. The truth is that many times the past, it disables us, it controls us, it depresses us, it imprisons us, it limits us, and at times we even let the past define us. But the good news is that the resurrection has the power to change our past in at least two ways. First, by freeing us from the pain of regret. Now, if there's anyone who understood the pain of regret, it was Peter. I mean, I mean, imagine how he felt all day that Saturday, reflecting not only on Jesus' death, but on his own three denials of even knowing him. Had to be the longest 86,400 minutes of Peter's life. Listen, on that Sunday morning, Peter woke up feeling devastated, discouraged, defeated, ashamed, eaten up by guilt, depressed, drowning in regret. Ever been there? And I understand many people today are living in the pain of regret, trapped by past mistakes. Yes, perhaps today you feel a little bit like Humpty Dumpty. Nothing can ever put me back together again. Or maybe you feel like King David who said this in Psalm 40 verse 12. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. In other words, I've I've done too much. I've I've gone too far. My sins and mistakes are are just too deep. If that is where you are this morning, I take great pleasure in telling you that you are wrong. You're wrong. Because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Come on, just imagine how awesome it would be to no longer have the past control you, limit you, disable you, discourage you, depress you, 
or define you. You know, I, I would love to ask Peter how he felt when, they, when he heard those two words from the women who suddenly burst into the room after running their 5K from the empty tomb. But go tell his disciples and Peter is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. I love it. Uh, don't stay here. Go, go, go tell the disciples a pause and a smile and especially tell Peter. What a line. I, I mean, it, it's as if all of heaven had watched Peter fall and all of heaven wanted to help him get back up again. Be, be sure to tell Peter that he is not left out. Be sure to tell Peter that, that, that his, his fall does not make him a failure. Yeah, make sure Peter knows that he gets another chance. That, that with Jesus, three strikes and you're not out. That is, as long as you're still willing to swing the bat. Brothers and sisters, that's why we call it the gospel of the second chance, third chance of the 70 times 7 times 7 times 7 times 7 chance. Listen, there's one thing our guide is always in a hurry to do. Forgive repented people. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad? Understand, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection changes everything. It changes our past. It removes the stain. It covers our shame. It evicts our guilt and forgives our sin. On the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. Three words in English, one word in Greek, the telestai, which means paid in full. Question, when you pay off a bill, do you worry about it after that? No, you don't. Never forget that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could never pay. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sent for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I, I, I like how the message Bible words it. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong. Never. So that we could be put right with God. And here's the truth I'm trying to convey. I think I have a slide for it right here. I even put pretty colors for you here. Easter colors maybe. Okay? But check this out. God placed our sin on his son so that he could pour out his sin, hate, and wrath on Jesus and his soul-saving grace on you and me. He put our sin on Jesus so that he could pour out his sin, hate, and wrath on Jesus so he could pour out his soul-saving grace on us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. He was raised to life to make us right with God. I'll never forget this time. On a, on a good Friday, many, many years ago, and we had set up a room for, for prayer and stuff, and I was in there by myself and confessing my sins and 
looking at the cross, and I, I, I remember, you know, I, I closed my eyes, and I looked up, and I pictured Jesus beaten, bruised, and bleeding, looking down at me. And I really expect him to say, you're messed up. You're messed up. You're here again. Will you ever get your act together, Steve? I'm so disappointed in you. And that wasn't audible. But you know a guy can speak to your spirit? And here's what I heard him say. I wrote it down then, so I still have it today. Steve, let it go. You're free. I did not go through all this for you to still feel guilty. And I just felt guilt lift off me. He said, I, I didn't go through this. You think I went through this so you would still feel guilty for your sins? No. L- l- listen, though guilt is an important stop in our journey to become like Jesus, guilt is never intended to be our final destination. Amen? I'm glad. I don't like guilt. Years ago, my dad explained guilt to me this way. It was after he came to Christ. And, and he was saying, guilt is like a brain freeze. You, you ever had, a, like if I eat ice cream too fast, and that's hard not to do, right? You ever get like a brain freeze? And I, it's like, you're like, this is terrible. It, it hurts so bad. Will it end? I can't live like this, right? But my dad said, it hurts so bad, but it feels so good when it stops hurting. You know, I said, that's like guilt, right? It hurts so bad. But it feels so good when it stops hurting, right? It feels so good when Jesus says, hey, you're not guilty. I paid that debt for you. It feels so good. Paul writes, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's now no what? For those who are where? In Christ Jesus. And and I'm I'm a simple guy. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I thought I heard amen back there somewhere. All right, brother. <laughs> My fellow Baltimorean back there. All right. And I'm like, okay, no condemnation, no condemnation. I like it. I want it. If I'm in Christ, no condemnation. I'm like, okay, how do I get in Christ? Well, according to Scripture, we get into Christ when we believe in who he is and what he did. When we repent of our sins saying, you know what, I've been the boss of my life and I just wreck everything up. I want you to be the boss of my life. When we confess him as our Lord and Savior and when we are buried with him in baptism. A few scriptures for you. When the people heard this, Peter's preaching the gospel for the very first time. Ever. People heard this, the gospel, they killed Jesus. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we read this in Galatians. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. And you know what? I, I knew before Sunday came that this Easter Sunday would be an awesome and special Sunday for me because there's three folks right there came hit in church at 9.30 this morning and were baptized into Christ. (laughs) 
And this time they're going to come up and sing a special song for you. No. <laughs> it was so awesome and so amazing. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And by the way, it's still warm. And, and, and I got plenty of towels, plenty of shorts and T-shirts. And that's something you've never done. You may want to consider it today. No better day than Easter Sunday to surrender to him in baptism. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection also changes our past by freeing us from the prison of resentment. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Listen, everybody in this room has been hurt by other people. In fact, we've probably been hurt a lot. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And listen, it's what we do with that hurt that determines whether we will live freely or whether we will live in prison. Question, what is it that you still have not gotten over? Like, what is it that even when I mention the topic of resentment, that the fires of bitterness and the flames of hurt are rekindled? Understand, resentment cannot change the past, it cannot correct the problem, and it does not change the person. In fact, it usually doesn't even hurt the person. It only hurts you, makes you miserable. You see, while you're still living your life swimming in the toxic water of resentment, most of the time, they've moved on with their life and future, and you're the only one still in prison by the past. And here's the deal. Jesus wants to rescue you from the prison of resentment so that you can get on with your life. And all he does, he wants you to set us free from it. He kind of shows us how to do it. He shows us that we just need to release them. We just need to let it go. I mean, when they were... When he was nailed to the cross and hanging there and they were, they were mocking him and insulting him and gambling for his clothes, Jesus said what? Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. You know what? A lot of times that's true. A lot of times the people that hurt us, they don't really know what they're doing. What they're doing to you, what they're doing to themselves, what they're doing to their Walk with God? Now, the classic example of the Old Testament of forgiveness is found in Genesis, a guy named Joseph. A guy who forgave his brothers who had sold him into slavery and put in him through 13 years of prison, servitude, and pain. And later, when Joseph had the power and opportunity to get even, to make them pay, to hurt them back, he just let them go. That didn't mean that what they did wasn't wrong. It didn't mean that it didn't hurt. It didn't mean that there wouldn't be consequences. But Joseph decided not to let resentment keep him in prison. He'd been in prison physically. He said, you know what? I'm not going to let bitterness and resentment keep me in prison. Resentment. Got any? There's only one thing to do. Let it go. When it pops up again, let it go. It's like that whack-a-mole, right? I, you know, every time you look around, there's, it just keeps popping up, right? Every time it pops up, let it go, right? There's no future in resentment. There's no future in bitterness. When it pops up, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Every time it pops up, let it go. Amen? Changes are past. Changes are present. 
Is there anything you would like to change about your present? Do you think it's possible for you to be different? Do you believe that the changes you've longed for in your life could actually become reality? Is change in the life of Jesus' followers even something that we expect to see in the church? Do you, do you want to know what I think? I'm going to tell you anyhow. I think that maybe some people in this room have pretty much given up on the idea of change. They've kind of given up on the idea of becoming the person that they've always wanted to be. I'll never overcome my fear, my doubts, that sinful habit, my insecurity. I'll never become who I want to be. I'll never become who God wants me to be. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. If you ever felt any of those thoughts, I have great news. The resurrection changes everything. The changes are past. It, it, it frees us from the pain of regret. It, it saves our sins. And it changes our present in three ways. First, by filling us with a new power. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this really crazy thing. There's a prayer that he prayed because he knew that we'd have a hard time understanding this and really believing it's true. But what he says is that the same power as a Jesus follower that conquered the grave lives in us. Is that crazy? The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. See, we have this new power. And what I'm trying to say is that as a Jesus follower, it's not our power, but his power that makes change possible. It's his power that enables you to become the person you've always wanted to be. The person God created you to be. It's not by our might, but by his power. Amen? Amen. The same, don't let that get soggy. Like, that's a big deal. God's spirit lives in you to give you power to become who God wants you to be. Because you couldn't do it on your own. He lives inside of you. Also changes our present by making us a new person. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Understand, if we are a Jesus follower, we are a new creation. We just need to begin living out and walking in that reality. Uh, check out these words about this newness and power written 600 years before Jesus put on flesh. A guy named Ezekiel wrote it. God inspired it. Ezekiel 36, I I will give you a new heart and and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Here's the bottom line, fellow Jesus followers. We just need to cooperate more with the Spirit and the new heart that's already in here. Understand, we do not create the river of living waters. 
Our job is simply to figure out how to jump into it and let that river carry us to who we were always meant to be. Find the resurrection changes us by giving us a new purpose. We have a new power, we're a new person, we have a new purpose. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Understand, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we are God's masterpiece. Again, don't let that get soggy. I mean, we are literally a work of art by the brush of the most creative being in the universe. And we've been created anew in Christ Jesus, not just to hang on a wall in a museum somewhere, <coughs> but so that we can do the good things he planned in advance for us to do. And listen, we can do them because he has shaped us to do them. And basically, this new purpose is to be the light of this dark and broken world. It is to let our light, our lives, let our light and our lives shine before others and point to Jesus wherever we are. Work, home, school, the marketplace. Shine for and point to Jesus, bring people to Jesus change their forevers, there is no greater purpose, right? If you can find a, a greater purpose than changing where people spend forever, let us know, and we'll leave, close this church down, and we'll start doing that. But until then, there is no greater purpose than changing where people spend forever. Amen? It changes our past, our present, and it changes our future. You know, I think one of the reasons that Easter Sunday was so good is because that Saturday had been so bad. You see, on Saturday, the disciples did not think they had much of a future. Instead, they were in meltdown mode. Meltdown mode. Ever been there? I mean, they're hiding in every available corner of the city with doors locked, afraid that there is a cross somewhere with their name on it. You know, on that Saturday, they had no courage. They had no hope. And none of them were doing the math. Okay, Jesus said that he would rise again in three days. Friday, day one. Saturday, day two. Hey, you know what, guys? I think we should get up early tomorrow and see him. No one did that. No one connected the dots. Therefore, Saturday was a place without hope or optimism about the future. Yet hope and optimism caught the last train to the coast the night before. And listen, when Sunday comes, those who go to the tomb, they're not going there to welcome him or talk with him. They're going there to embalm a dead body that does not look anything like an Easter parade or a victory march, does it? It may have been Sunday on the calendar, but they were in a Saturday state of mind about their future. Question, do you ever feel like your world, when it comes to hope, courage, and optimism for the future, is stuck on Saturday? I mean, even when you do put your hope in something or someone, it usually lets you down, or worse yet, they die. I understand death is the ultimate slap in the face. It's the ultimate kick in the pants. I mean, you do the best you can. You pay your dues. You make a contribution to the world, you do your best to make something of your life. You try to stay healthy. You try to eat right. But no one outlives death. In the end, 
we die. Our heart stops, our lungs expire, everybody dies. Listen, there's something about that truth that just sends us into a Saturday state of mind. Uh, You've been there. If you haven't, one day you'll be driving past a cemetery or standing at a in a graveyard or sitting at a table in a funeral home and it will dawn on you I can't outrun this I can't outbargain this this is where I'm headed listen I believe that if we do not have an answer to the grave we're stuck in a Saturday state of mind for our entire life sure we may have our moments but we're still stuck on Saturday and, and that And that, and that is why I so love Easter. Understand, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, every human being in Christ, death is no longer a dead end, but death is simply an exit ramp from this life to the next life, to the better life. Uh, To a sister who was mourning the loss of her brother, who was trying to hold it together, to a sister who only wished, Jesus, if he came sooner, the outcome could have been different. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15 about the future we have because of resurrection. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they'll be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. But just as our natural bodies, they're also spiritual bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scriptures will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? You know what Paul said? We're trash talking. Hey, death, you got nothing. Where's your sting? Where's your power? Jesus is alive. You got nothing on me. Nothing. Where's your sting? Where's your victory? For sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death. Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death. Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know your labor to the Lord is not in vain. And here's the deal. If you are a Jesus follower, if you're in Christ, if you surrender to him through faith, confession, repentance, and baptism, your future is secure, guaranteed, coming soon, and it's going to blow your mind in the most wonderful and glorious ways. Yes, Jesus has moved the entire world to Saturday. Do you understand where you're going? Do you understand the forever that Jesus is planning for you? No more death. 
No more disease. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more pain. No more cemeteries. No more funeral homes. No more divorce. No more breakups. No more violence. No more hatred. No more judging based on our skin color. No more discouragement. No more depression. No more fear. No more sin. I want to go there. And Paul, writing about our our future hope, said this in Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings. Can I get an amen that life is hard? (laughs) That it's difficult? That some days you don't want to get out of bed? That some days you're saying, Lord, come now. (laughs) Come now. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I'm too worn out. I'm too tired, right? It's hard. This life is hard. It's difficult. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, Paul said, hey, when you get there, you're not going to say, well, you're not going to say, this wasn't worth it. You'll say, every bit of it was worth it because I'm here. Because I'm here. Now, you may wonder why I have one of my favorite desserts over here. Chocolate French silk pie. I mean, it's incredible. I love it. It's the best. And, and, and have you ever had dinner somewhere and maybe the dinner was good or maybe the meatloaf wasn't so good? And you're, you're getting rid of your plate and then someone says those beautiful words. They say, save your what? Save your fork. Save your fork. And you're like, why? Because the best is yet to come. I heard about a a lady who, when she was in her coughing and people came to visit, in her hand, she was holding a fork. <laughs> Listen, this world is not all there is. And when we get there, when we see him, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the junk, all the frustration, all the failures will be more than worth it. Listen, in Christ, we've already won life's ultimate lottery. We've already been given the gold medal. Our victory, our future, our forever, our eternity is secure, guaranteed, and coming soon. Just one thought, and I'm done. In John 20, we read about Peter and John running to the tomb after their news. And John kind of cracks me up. You know, John wants us to know in his gospel that he actually got there first, right? Hashtag a guy thing, right? I mean, it's the gospel about Jesus, but I just want you to know we ran to the tomb and I got there first, right? I beat Peter. I'm faster than Peter. Hashtag, again, a guy thing. And, 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 but he didn't go in. Initially. And then we read that it's when he went in that he believed. And here's the deal. Here's what I'm trying to say. Some of you have been hanging outside the tomb, hanging on the outside of these truths long enough. Yeah, I know Christ can forgive my past. He can forgive my sin. He can help me deal with resentment. And I know he can come into my present with a new power, make me a new person, give me a new purpose. But we have never gone into the tomb. 
Yeah, he can give me a future that will give me hope no matter what happens, but we've never gone in to the tomb. Today, Easter Sunday, 2023, I, I want to encourage you to stop hanging outside the tomb and walk inside and experience his resurrection that can change your past, that'll free you from the pain of regret, the prison of resentment, that will give you a new power, make you a new person, give you a new purpose, and that will give you a future that is guaranteed, secure, and coming soon. Amen? Amen. Yeah, I just want to read a scripture. I'll tell you one way we get to go in the tomb. This hit me this morning. So I thought I'd share it with you. Because you know what? In a way, we can go into the tomb still. As a matter of fact, three people went into the tomb this morning. Here's what Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 6. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, when we surrender to Christ in faith, repentance, and baptism, we have gone into the tomb. We're buried with Christ. And we rise to live a new life. Again, if you've not made that decision, you can make it the day. You can talk to me. No greater way to celebrate Easter. You know, stop hanging around the tomb, hearing these truths and not living it. And uh, we're going to sing the song, and every week we take communion. And at these various stations, you'll see we have individual cups you can pick up as we're singing. And then we'll come back here and we'll take them together. If you guys would stand, I'm going to pray us into this song of worship. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that you're alive. And God, I pray for those in this room today, Lord, who are dealing with the pain of Regret, Lord, that they realize there's forgiveness in you. And those who are struggling with bitterness and resentment, God, help them to deal with that. And those who have been giving up on becoming who they've always dreamed of being, they'll realize there's a new power, a new person, a new person available to them. And God, I pray those of us who know you will realize where we're going, what you're preparing for us. And today, Lord, as we sing this song, we acknowledge that there's no other name as beautiful or as wonderful as the name of Jesus. To his name we pray, amen.